Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. This portion of his word on us tonight for just a moment of prayer. Our Father, take us now into your care and speak to us in, in a very special way. May thy spirit dwell with each of our hearts and cause us to be the kind of individual, the kind of Christian you would have us be. Bless us in our efforts this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to title the message this morning, Off with the Old and On with the New. You may have discovered those words as we read together from this very passage, Put Off and Put On. I want to ask you a question. I don't expect you to give me a verbal answer. But I would hope that you would answer this question and remember what your answer is because I think I will ask the question three times before the message is over. So recall your first answer and then contemplate that first answer when you answer the second and perhaps even the third time. The question is, are you saved? Now if we would have a show of hands, which I don't want to do, but if there were a show of hands this morning, perhaps everyone in this congregation would lift up your hand and by that say, yes, I am saved. That would be a response. Maybe there's someone here who would not say that, who could not. I don't know. But if I would ask each of you to stand up and give your verbal response to that question, we would discover a variety of responses, even amongst Christian people. There would be those who would be very emphatic, perhaps might even shout, praise God, and without a shadow of doubt would convince you and me that they know they're saved. And this is a good way to do it. There would be others in this congregation who would say, well, I think so. Others who would say, I hope so. And when we get away from that very direct affirmation of our belief in Jesus Christ, we get away from being able to make that affirmative answer, yes, I am saved and get into less affirmative responses by I hope so, or I think so, or some might even have to say, I really don't know. So the question is, are you saved? Don't answer to me or to your neighbor, but in your own mind and heart, answer that question. Salvation. is described throughout the New Testament as being something absolutely new. It's called the new mind, the new will, the new heart, a new inheritance, a new relationship, a new power, a new knowledge, a new wisdom, a new perception, a new understanding, a new desire, 
a new land, a new citizenship, a new name. All of those are referred to in the New Testament as a description of the saved. If you would put them all together, we can come up with the statement, a new life. Paul said to 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17, If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Therefore, if one is a Christian, the old life has passed away and he has something that is absolutely new. He has a new nature. That new nature has replaced the old nature. You're not the same person that you were prior to your accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and, as Lord and Savior. Now, the, I say this simply as, as a as the preliminary to the point of the message. If one says, yes, I am saved, then he is saying, yes, I have a new nature. And if he says, I have a new nature, then he is meaning, I have replaced, or it has been replaced for me through Christ. My old nature is gone. I have something absolutely new. And this new nature then demands a new way of life. This is the thesis of this morning's message. If one has Jesus Christ, then he has a new life. And this new life demands a new type of relationship. Now herein comes the problem. A real problem in that many of us, and maybe all of us, I don't know, have a tremendous tendency to hold on to the old ways and simply want to add on the new life and only add on as much of that new life as we can fit into to the way we want to live. So I ask the question for the second time, are you saved? Do you have a new life? Have you given up the old? Now there are two things that Paul gives us here in the verses that we read. He first of all gives us a description of the old life. Then he gives us a description of the new life. Let's look first of all at the old life. In verse 17 he says, Henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Well, the word Gentiles here makes reference as a general term to those who are not Christian. For basically and generally, Gentiles in that day and time were not Christians, and so the term was used to refer to all people who were not Christian. All right, the reference is to, to the ungodly, to the unsaved. You walk not as the unsaved would be a proper interpretation. Tonight I'm going to get into the uh, 
discussion of Ephesus a little bit, but let me give you just a preliminary statement or two that I think is necessary here. In the town of Ephesus, there was a temple to the goddess Diana, who was the goddess of all that was evil. She was the love god, the sex god, and they worshipped her, and there was all kinds of perversions that went on in that temple and in that city to the point that a philosopher by the name of Heraclitus made this statement about the city of Ephesus. He said, the darkness, it is the darkness of vileness, morals lower than animals fit only to be drowned. That's a pretty low statement of a society. And yet it was out of this society of absolute moral degradation in the community that there grew a church. And the problem that Paul saw, the reason he wrote it to Ephesus, you folks, he said, have come out of this uh, moral degradation. You have become a new person. You've been converted from it. You must, therefore, separate yourselves completely from the old way of living and live a new life. They did not want to do this. They wanted still to engage in the fine social functions of the Temple Diana. This is what's the problem today in our churches that too many of our members still want to be a part of the old way of life and fellowship and associate with those that participate in those things that we now know are unacceptable as a Christian. We can name all that we want to name. We know what they would be. Paul lists some of the problems, some of the ways of these people that they were living. The first thing that he mentions is their intellectual futility. In verse 17, the last phrase of it, the vanity of their mind, means the, the intellectual degradation of those people. Now, we are admonished as Christian people to have the same mind as Christ has. Folks, we cannot have the same mind of, that Christ has and still be filled with evil thoughts, sinful thoughts, and ideas. We cannot participate in those things that are ungodly and unacceptable and that, that the Scripture preaches and teaches against and still claim that our minds and our hearts are full of Christ. As the Lord said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Or as Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'll ask the question again. I guess I'm going to ask it four times. Are you a Christian? Have you been saved? Do you have in your mind the mind of Christ? He said to the Philippians, whatever is true, whatsoever is honest, whatsoever is just, pure, lovely, of good report, think on these things. Let me, let me phrase it in my words. Whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, of good report, have these things on your mind. 
will discover that much of our mental capacities are consumed by thinking about other things. And the mind of Christ is not fully in us. Some of the people who study criminology are in disagreement with other peoples of our society in this manner. And that is that oftentimes a criminal uses as his excuse as to why he went wrong that he grew up in a society that did not train him the way he ought to go. He came from a bad home. The church didn't do their job in teaching. The schools failed. And all of these things. Now I will grant you that a criminal could be true in making that statement to the home at times, to society at times, even to the church at times, or to the school at times, or any other segment of our society. But I do not for one moment believe that a criminal is made by society, nor by the home. And the fact that the church does not do all that it ought to do to train up the children of our community, a criminal cannot lay it at the doorstep of the church. The reason a criminal is a criminal is because he has set his mind on being that. You can take many other homes that have not been good, have not been Christian, where the church has not influenced and the school has not well taught and all of that. We don't have everybody going that route. There is a responsibility of an individual for his own conduct, and we cannot escape that. The scripture says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So are we Christian? Do we have the mind of Christ within us? All right, let's go on. We're going to... We're out of time if we don't. The second point that he makes in referring to the ungodly, he does so in verse 18 when he says, having the understanding darkened. The understanding darkened. There has never been a time in the history of the world when there have been more educated people than there is today. I am somewhat appalled at times in discovering that there are a number of people in the United States that cannot read and write who have grown up in our communities. I can't imagine how that's possible to happen, but I guess it does. I'm wondering if most of those people have not immigrated to this country because we all go through our, our school systems today. Nevertheless, consider the technology and the science advancements that have taken place just in your lifetime. And you will have to realize with me that we're living in, a, in an age of education. In the last 50 years, the advancements that have been made in science and in medicine 
and in so many other areas certainly point out that we are an educated people and are accomplishing more quicker. In the lifetime of some of you, from Henry Ford's Model T to going to the moon is quite an advancement. Yet, as Paul said to Timothy, we're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Well, let me wrong. We need to have educated people. This is something that everyone should strive for, is to get as much education as possible. But this does not provide a person with the knowledge of God. The unsaved are ignorant of God's Word. So the question is, are we saved? Which means, do we know what God is saying to us? talks about them having blindness of heart. I don't know if any of you, uh, some of you I'm sure have, been to smoke hole caverns over in the eastern part of the state or to some other caverns. I've seen this in more than one place. And inside that cavern there are some little fish that have no eyes. They're blind and don't even know it. That's where they were born and reared. Inside that cave, never got out to the light. There was no need for light because they were in absolute darkness all the time. And this is a description of the person who is not saved, is that he is blind and he doesn't know it. That very phrase there in the 18th verse, blindness of their heart, can be easily translated hardness of heart. That's what takes place when bones calcify, and they no more easily bend as when we get arthritis. And those joints don't want to bend like they ought to. And the older we get, the more we're that way, I suppose, for at least some of us. It's a description of wood that petrifies. It's a description similar to that that happened in Dolly Bridge with putting that tunnel through that mountain many years ago. And all of those people died of silicosis. The surgeons who worked with those left uh, a written document of their working with them described their lungs as becoming solid. They could not give and expand, couldn't receive any air and expel uh, air at all. They had become hard. There are many hearts of unsaved people who are absolutely so hard you can't begin to make a dent. And the scripture tells us in, uh, in Romans that they become so hard that even God will give them up. Now listen, when God gives you up, you're in a bad state. You look at that in Romans 1, 24 and 26 sometimes. God will give up trying to bring some people to salvation. Second Corinthians 4.4 The God of this world has blinded the minds of understanding 
that they might not see the light of the gospel. Who's the God of this world? But Satan. What has Satan done? Satan has blinded the eyes or blinded the minds of the understanding of people. You've experienced it. Why is it that people don't come to church? Because there is no possible reason in their mind why that's an advantage. Why it's important. Verse 19, he says they're past feeling. They don't care anymore about right and wrong. They have rejected the appeal of the church. Or as Paul said to Timothy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In the latter phrase of verse 19, he talks about to work all uncleanness with greediness. Well, we can take that phrase and we can use one word that we understand a little better, and that is depraved. A depraved person is one who cares for no one but himself. This is our society. We have sunk to a low that very likely is comparable to the Temple of Diana or perhaps even lower. You look in today's society and what are the subjects that are the minds of so many people. Homosexuality is an acceptable term anymore. There are even some of our churches who are wanting to make this legitimate and acceptable. Sexual perversion of every kind, abortion as a, as a method of birth control in order that people might go their sinful way and do as they please and can have an abortion to cover up and get rid of the problem. Lying is commonplace. Stealing is absolutely every day. You can't possibly leave anything unlocked for fear somebody's going to pick it up and go away with it. Murder is common. When a man will kill his wife over a Christmas tree at Christmas time, he is absolutely depraved. And yet it's happened in our state this past Christmas. We're talking about a society that has sunk to the depths of hell and doesn't know it. Now the question comes, the second part, the second walk, the new walk, the new way. Look at verse 20. He said, but you have not learned, so learned Christ. You have not so learned Christ. You didn't learn about Jesus Christ in the temple of Diana. You don't learn about Jesus Christ in the gutter of the world. Now I'll grant you, you can learn lots of Sunday school words out there. Probably more Sunday school words were spoken in the taverns of Danville and Madison, or where, I don't know where they're any up and down this creek. Last night they have been spoken in this church today. We don't learn Christ in the gutter. 
We learn of Christ in His church that He established. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We sit at the feet of Christ to learn. Many, many times I've had people say to me, Well, I can worship God sitting out there on the riverbank fishing. Let me tell you, I love sitting out there on the riverbank fishing, and I'll agree with you. Yes, I can, but I probably won't. As a matter of fact, I can't recall when I did. Why? Because there was a lot more fun to put in the fish. The Lord is telling us to commit ourselves to a way of life that is different than our old nature. To put on the new man. Live a new life. Learn from the Lord. I ask you again for the last time now. Are you saved? Now that you have answered in your own mind, I want to call your attention to 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. He that says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments is a liar. I didn't say that. God's Word says that. I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have been brave enough. But here is John preaching it. He makes it very, very emphatic that we cannot simply with weak words and uh, a fickle way of life stand up and say we're Christian. We're Christian only when we keep His commandments. And that means we've got to let go our old way of life. The Lord never gave us license to practice the old. He gave us a commandment to practice the new, to follow Him. Until our church members are willing to let go of sin and hold only to the cross of Christ, we're not going to see the testimony that we need to see from the church. Verse 22. He says, put off. What? Put off those things concerning your old way of life. To put it in literal terms, he is, being, he is saying, be stripped of all of your filthiness. Lay aside everything that was in the past. Paul said to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. 
Now, it's a matter, folks, because I still love to do some of those things that I used to do. And I probably will never lose my appetite for some of them. I love chocolate cake. But I'm a diabetic, and I can't eat it. And I know that if I do, I'm going to pay the consequences. I haven't lost my love for chocolate cake, I'll guarantee you. But I'm living in a new era. Well, the doctor sat me down and told me, you no longer can do these things that you have once been doing. He made it pretty plain to me. And his plain statement was, if you do them, you're going to die. But I don't want to die. And so I'm willing to follow a more strict way of life than I had in the past. He is telling us as Christian people, you live that way, folks, and you're going to die. Do you want to live? Then put on the new man. Put on the new way. Put on the new nature. Throw the old away. Now, he's not talking about a renovation job. He's not talking about a remodel job. And this is the problem. Many people want to remodel. Want to mend. We can do that with clothes and get along fine. But we can't do that with our life in Jesus Christ. For he says, put off the old and put on the new. So are you a Christian? Have you put on the new? There are rescue missions in many of our large cities around the country. I used to be a part of the Union Mission in Parkersburg associated with that organization. And the head of the Union Mission in Parkersburg of some years ago, and I are good friends. That mission and others would take the derelict off the street. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.